Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So you're noticing we're doing things a little out of order today. So if you've already looked ahead in your bulletin, the preaching text is right. So that one's right. Uh, I just missed, uh, missed the gospel verse there. Um, but you'll notice there's some bolded parts. Uh, so if you turn the page on it, you'll notice that there, is, uh, there should be some bolded parts in the bulletin. Those are there, right? Okay, good. <laughs> I'm starting to second-guess myself up here. Well, those bolded parts will be responses, and we're not going to read them quite yet, uh, but we will soon. So just know that those are, uh, are your parts when we get to those bolded parts in the reading. All right? Make sense? Everybody together? All right. So uh, just to set us, since we're going to be sort of reenacting this reading from Joshua 24, I thought we should maybe have a little bit of idea of what we're actually reenacting, of what's, what's actually happened, what's taken place since our reading last week. So last week, as you recall, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we had Exodus uh, chapters 19 and 20, which is Israel arriving a few months out of Egypt, arriving at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and receiving this covenant that God is making with them. Uh, and we heard especially God's sort of opening speech, the, the words that Israel themselves hear from God's, uh, of God's voice speaking on the mountain out of this cloud of thick darkness that has covered the mountain. And of course, we know this speech is the Ten Commandments. This is what we uh, know this as. And I, and I mentioned that there's this wonderful promise that opens it, right? God starts it with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There will be for you no other gods. And everything else in that covenant flows from that promise of who God has decided to be for the people of Israel. Well, quite a bit of Bible has happened between our, that reading and and this reading for this week, although not all that much time, at least in terms of biblical time, we're about a generation later, maybe two generations later. Uh, Israel has done their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness after going to the promised land and not being brave enough to actually enter it that first time. Moses has uh, died uh, on the verge of seeing, or of after, right after seeing the promised land, right on the edge. You remember he goes up on the mountain and he can see it, but he's not allowed to enter it. Joshua, Moses is uh, second in command has taken over uh, after him, and they have gone into and they have driven out most of the peoples in the land. They have possessed this land that was promised uh, to their ancestor Abraham so many generations before. Some of those nations have been completely driven out. Uh, many of them still exist in the land, uh, especially if you uh, read on into Judges. So we're right at the end of the book of Joshua. Judges starts on basically the next page. Uh, you hear there's a list right at the beginning of these are the nations that are still remaining in the land. So Israel is there. They're established. They have uh, received the fulfillment of this promise of the promised land. But they're not a kingdom yet. They're a nation, we could say. They're sort of a loose affiliation of tribes, um, but they have no king. They have no royalty, and the book of Judges is sort of a story of how that uh, works or doesn't work uh, much of the time for them. So um, what's happening in our story today, what we're about to reenact then, is in Joshua 24 is something of a renewal of vows, and this is for a new generation. It's, again, this 40 years after in the wilderness, but it's a renewal of this covenant vow. So if you've ever done a renewal of marriage vows, or if you've ever had friends who have renewed their marriage vows, uh, you maybe have an idea of what this is sort of going to be like. So there's this, there's this storytelling that opens it. God kind of tells the story of delivering them from Egypt. You could think of this as this is uh, the romance stage. This is how we met. This is 
what our, our wedding was like and so on. Uh, and then there's going to be this, this kind of continued uh, statement of promise from God, sort of implied from that. This is what God has been doing for you, and the idea is God's going to continue doing this for you. And then the people, of course, are going to respond in their renewal of the vows. You're going to notice there's a couple things that are a little bit strange if we're thinking about this as a marriage renewal, and you'll see this as we get into it. Uh, one of the things I want to point out ahead of time, though, is that uh, there's this sort of confusion that happens in the storytelling part. So remember, this is 40 years later, or even a little more than 40 years later, after the initial giving of the covenant at Sinai. And so the storytelling will go back and forth, even in the same sentence, between saying, I did this for your ancestors, I led your ancestors out of Egypt, and then he'll say, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. And you're wondering, okay, so is it the ancestors or is it them? But either way, in this covenant renewal and in this uh, covenant storytelling, there's this identification between the ancestors who were there and the descendants who are here now, that there's this sort of uh, bridging of time and experience that what God did for them, God was doing here for this generation. And we can obviously say that there's something similar going on for us with our spiritual ancestors, Israel in the wilderness, that what God was doing for them, God is now also doing for us. Did anything surprise you in that reading? <laughs> so my reading that I was able to pronounce all those names, did anything surprise you in the reading itself? You cannot serve the Lord, Joshua says. It seems like an odd uh, marriage renewal vows uh, thing to say. But yeah, you cannot serve the Lord, Joshua says. Yeah, or after he, uh, that they should anyways, and that he was going to. But you cannot serve the Lord. Anything else surprise you in that second section? So he's making uh, a, the law covenant, basically, is what he's doing. He's recording that we have made this promise here in sort of a formal treaty language almost that he's doing there. Yeah, good. That's a good question. Yeah. You cannot serve the Lord, Joshua says. So if you've ever been to a marriage renewal vows or even just a wedding, and uh, you can imagine making vows to each other, you know, uh, those beautiful vows that people write and, 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 uh, and, and, and making these promises to each other to be with each other till death do you part. And can you imagine the other person saying, you can't do that. <laughs> just turning and just shutting you down like that. It seems, it seems a bit strange. You know, as, as I read this the first time, it seems sort of like a, a rhetorical thing that people do sometimes. Like when you're, if you're ever in front of a crowd of kids, you know, and you say, you know, did you have fun today? And they say, yeah. And you say, I can't hear you. And they say, yeah. You know, it's a way of making them say it stronger. It seems like Joshua is doing something like this, except that he seems to have good reason for saying you cannot serve the Lord because they still have foreign gods with them. Did you notice that? They have these idols with them. Now, I don't know if these are ones that they've had since Egypt. Maybe they're the ones that, if you remember Abraham's grandson, Jacob, when he leaves his uncle's house, uh, his wife steals the household idols, the household gods, and, and takes them with her and hides them. I don't know if you remember that story. I don't know. Maybe some of those have been passed down generation to generation. Maybe they've been hiding them in their tents all these 40 years in the wilderness. Maybe some of them are from the, the Amorites, the other nations uh, of, of peoples in the land. They've been borrowing some of their gods. You know, the Lord's a good God to lead you through the wilderness, but we need somebody for harvest, maybe, or we need somebody for fertility, or we need somebody for protection, uh, this sort of thing. But they have other gods with them. I, I just find this astounding that after being led through the wilderness, after being provided manna and quail, they are still hedging their bets. 
In uh, the small catechism, in uh, the explanation of the third article of the Creed, uh, Martin Luther writes this as his explanation. I think it's one of the most profound things in the whole catechism, and he writes this. I believe that by my own understanding or strength, that is all that I am, I believe that I cannot believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. What a strange sentence that is, isn't it? I believe that I cannot believe. This is in explaining the third article of the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that I cannot believe. You know, as I was thinking about this passage and this renewal of vows idea, this is a little bit less actually of a, a renewal of a marriage vows as it is sort of more of a confirmation or an affirmation of baptism, as, as, as we call it. This is somebody, uh, a group of people, taking a story that they actually don't remember. Maybe some of them were very little at the time, but they actually don't remember, but it's becoming their story. Uh, if, uh, for those of you who were baptized as infants, maybe you've heard stories about your baptism from your parents or your godparents or sponsors or people who were there. Uh, maybe you just have a little certificate that tells you something of the story of your baptism, who it was that was there, who was the pastor that presided, where did it happen, when was the date. This story gets handed down, and it's your story, but it's a story that for many of us we don't quite remember. And so we have this confirmation or this affirmation of baptism where we uh, look back on those promises that God gave to us, and we make our commitment saying, yes, yes, we affirm these promises. We, we intend to live according to them. But of course, as we all know, the answer that Joshua gives would be perfectly valid there too, wouldn't it? Well, you can't. You can't serve the Lord as you ought to. You can't honor your baptismal promises as you ought to. Now, you should. Of course you should. But you won't. I don't. You don't. And so Luther writes in this explanation of, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that I cannot believe. But, he says, the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, made me holy, and kept me in the one true faith. Who is responsible for our faith? Who is responsible for our fidelity to the covenant that God makes with us in baptism? Well, it ends up not being us, but the Holy Spirit who does this on our behalf, who does this in us, or maybe we could say it does this to us. What's true for our spiritual ancestors of Israel in the wilderness in front of Joshua is true for us today as well. That the covenant that God makes with us, the covenant that God has made with each of you, is more than we are able to keep. And so God has decided that our unfaithfulness will not have the last word, just as he decided that Israel's unfaithfulness would not have the last word. They're still being led into the promised land along with all of these idols they're apparently carrying along with them. God remains faithful. Now, God will chastise them. God will uh, give them over to foreign uh, powers. God will even exile them uh, in the Babylonian exile for uh, a couple of generations. They will be away from their, their homeland, but God remains faithful. And this story is our story. It's your story. Because God eventually comes to you. God comes among us as a human in Jesus Christ, and God puts himself in our power. And what do we do with that power? We put him to death. We crucify him. We bury him. We seal the tomb with a stone. But even that God will not let 
have the last word. Because after three days, Jesus was raised, and he came back not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with forgiveness of sins. And he returns to you even today in the words of the absolution, in the words of of scripture, in the words of preaching, in his body and blood of the bread and wine, in communion. He returns to you again today, knowing that, of course, you cannot believe as you ought. You cannot serve the Lord as you ought. And so he has taken it upon himself to be faithful on your behalf. He has taken it upon himself to believe when you struggle to. He has taken it on himself to forgive your sin, to do away with it, to make you holy, to keep you forever with him. Amen.